spectacular. Paging Dr. Schaefer. Dr. Schaefer to the lobby. Not a real doctor. Strange squeaks are squeaking out of the gloaming here in Austin, Texas. How do you even describe that? It's like there's a bird on Magical Nation. There's a bird right in the middle of my introduction making a noise like one of those old antique car horns. I think it's a dog toy. Oh, you don't think it's a bird at all? <laughs> it's not a bird. <laughs> that makes a whole lot more sense. <laughs> Strange dog toys are making weird noises here in the sunset in Austin, Texas. Somebody shoot that dog toy. As we, <laughs> toy. He said toy. He said dog toy. Here in the sunset in Austin, Texas, in the Hill Country, Texas, USA, planet Earth, Milky Way Galaxy, etc. As we bring you episode 167 of One Magical Hour, a Matthew and Schaefer podcast spectacular uh we're really excited to be here it's really nice friday night we got friday night energy big friday energy as the kid calls these days that bfe the sun's going down it's beautiful it's coming through the trees that are now covered in green here in matthew rampy's backyard i'm sitting next to the man himself the pride of the greater tarzana topanga area for his Important work in the field of children's folk rock. It's Matthew Rampey. A little ditty about Matt and Shafee. Two middle-aged men on a podcasting spree. Shafee gonna be a podcast star. Matthew recording all the action in his backyard. Oh yeah, the podcast goes on. Long after the thrill of the download is gone, etc. I I Love didn't it. I didn't no, I didn't fill it all out. I did have one other line though. Um, Chevy sits back, collects his thoughts for the podcast, scratches his head, and does his best, Paula Dean. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. That's not a comment on either your cooking or your racist. Tendencies. I, I cook a lot of butter, okay, much yeah, like fair enough. Bean, sure. Fair enough. Um, I have a mildly southern accent. I would say in parts of the world, your accent would consist of a majorly southern, but nah, it's, it's compared pretty, to Paula's. Not compared to I Paula's. hardly got nothing. Yeah, or, or yeah, or my Mississippi in-laws. Well, episode one hundred sixty-seven. Things are a little wacky right now because the sun's still up. Yeah. Uh, we got to it a little earlier today. I feel like everyone can see us podcasting. Yeah, it's sort of weird, isn't it? <laughs> it? There is something about the darkness that allows us to kind of just disappear into the imagination of hey, imaginary radio that's not even on the radio. Take the clothing off of our souls. It is a little... I feel like I'm clothed in the bright raiment of the podcast um but super nice night wind in the trees dog toys squeaking yeah. really disappointed that, that wasn't funny. a bird that's funny you thought it was a bird i was so excited for that strange bird it's picturing like something out of dr seuss over there making that noise i don't think that's a regular um like there's not there's not a dog that lives next door. It's a guest no, dog. I think it's a guest dog. That explains why I've never heard that bird before. <sighs> um, man, I got 
I got no good news for the podcast. I got a news cruise, and it's all insane goings on. I I feel like. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's weird out there. There's no question. Yeah, it's weird out there. I'm, I don't even think I'm even touching the like the weirdest stories either. It's just a couple that were noteworthy to me, and that I felt would not make you clutch your pearls too much. And no, I'm, that's not that is certainly not why I chose these topics coming up. Speaking of clutch, clutch your pearls. Chuck got at us. Uh, Chuck the bartender. Yeah, he confirmed that. It was, in fact, you know, Damon Wayans doing that thing. Oh yeah, in in Living Color, he thought it was really funny that I believed that that was the origin of the phrase. Yeah, but and I went back and listened to it. I realized, yeah, I was kind of presenting it that way. Uh, but I I was kind of doing that half as a joke. Were you just saying how it got into recent popular culture? Yeah, like that's that's what you know because I was thinking of a specific. You know, I was saying, I feel like there was a comedian in the 80s who used this catchphrase, right? Uh, yes. And that's definitely, so that's definitely yes. the origin of that thought in my head. Okay, yeah. I realized that he did not invent. It was a Damon Wayans character on In Living Color. He did not invent the activity of pearl clutching and indeed talking about the fact that you're clutching your pearls. Uh, and Chuck humorously pointed out that clutching your pearls it's sort of a modern take on the old dropping of the monocle. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Which dropping the monocle is more like that can be more surprise of any kind. Yeah. But uh, not necessarily your uh, your delicate sensibilities have I, been trampled upon. I thought that that'd be funny. We could turn that into a catchphrase for one magical hour. If something surprises you, you could say, drop the monocle. A monocle drop. That's a real monocle dropper right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're, Particularly weird or exciting. Well, I asked you in the episode what our catchphrase was, and you weren't so sure. There you are. So maybe we should get one in place. I'm I drop the monocle. <laughs> drop the monocle. I, I, that's got my vote. Yeah. Right. That's great. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, Chuck the bartender. <sighs> a very creative person in his own right. Well, I feel like this episode might be just full of monocle droppers. I also have this feeling like we got to get to the poem. This may this may legitimately be finally a short episode. And that would be like, you know how uh, when you see a movie, you ever see that movie, um, There Will Be Blood? I've never watched it all the way through. Is that right? Well, I have another, I have another title, another working title for that movie. It's there should have been an editor. <laughs> and I think that the, our podcast is a little like that. Like it will take us 166 tries to get to a point where we can finally just put out a 40 minute podcast instead of a full hour. The... I, I, I mean, only the listener knows because they've seen the runtime when you download the thing. But I feel like this one's going to be just a little shorter. I, I'm partially because uh, that's how much energy I think I have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we often <laughs> Even predict, though it's a big Friday energy. We, we often predict, predict short ones that end up being long ones. And you know why I would guess is like if we're feeling low energy, maybe we're just talking slower. So the podcast takes a little bit longer. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I do feel like I'm talking slower. <laughs> I feel exhausted uh, after a long week and or maybe I'm getting sick. Um, but hey, I'm here. I'm doing the podcast. Here we are. One time I went to uh, class in an effort to get my studio art, Bachelor of Fine Arts degree, which I did finally get. Thank you. Brought me to this podcast. Um, and I went to I remember going to drawing class as I was like getting sick and I was like pretty sick. And I remember that the drawings I did in that class were actually pretty interesting. Like my compromised state made something this slightly more interesting than my regular zippity doodah state. Hopefully the same will be true of episode 167. We'll see. I guess we should get to it and see what happens. I have something that you feel like we're already podcasting will be terribly interesting for the listener. 
I want to question you about certain things that I can see in your backyard uh-huh. that I couldn't, that I wouldn't have necessarily noticed in the dark. Uh, how long has that tree been lopped off like that? Um, not long. Uh, for the listener, there's a it's a pecan tree trunk that's neatly lopped off right about. Uh, would you put that five feet? It's about it's about five foot ten. Right about right about my height. Um. It was the, it was down to two forks. That tree has had disease since we moved into this house, and it was down to two forks. And one of the forks was totally like a sponge, like it was so ready to come down. And then the other fork was it had dead parts all up in its crown, and it was always dropping stuff. And uh, I I don't know. I, we we really want to take out the tree, but I rented a chainsaw and I got it down to there. And I, I would like to do a treehouse now using that as a main like platform i like it um i've been more i've been mourning the death of this pecan tree since i moved into this house a decade ago uh and it happened very slowly and there were parts of it would fall and die and then it looked terrible and you want for we're gonna do a remodel back here you've got at least one more pecan tree back here right yeah there's another pecan tree back here and I wonder. We've planted some trees. Two of them, though, to produce fruit. Is there one other one over there, though? Yeah. There used to be. This is getting some real like 1980s AM radio. Yeah, maybe we should stop talking about things we see in my backyard. Lawn talk. Also, how long is the rope swing over there with the multicolored? Has that been up there forever? Forever. Okay. Yeah. You're just you're just now seeing my backyard because usually we're doing it in the dark. Almost always in the dark. Yeah, folks. That's that's uh And we sit here in front of the laptop and the light shines in your face and and yeah, you don't see what's beyond in the dark. But Out it, there. It is, it'll be dark by the time we're done here, maybe, unless we hurry up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've got uh, a news cruise. Oh, what? This is not a partial. This is like you gotta do everything. News crews. Okay. Um, first thing on the topic of banning books. Did you hear about this news item this week? The Lano County Library System was threatening to close down because they were being sued by some First Amendment rights advocates who wanted their banned books back. And uh, I guess the county had does occasional weeding of books and getting rid of older, more irrelevant books. And they had done some kind of covert, just removing certain books from the shelves because of their content. Um, I, I Let me see. I have an article here from the Texas Tribune. Um, there's a, a quick list here. Um, the books that removed included a title for teens called The Ku Klux Klan, A Terrorist Group. Isabel Wilkerson's cast, The Origins of Our Discontents, and a comedic children's book with three stories from Don McMillan's I Need a New Butt series. <laughs> um, I This is the... F- This article is the follow-up, sort of the resolution of this news item this week. The the resolution in the headline reads, Lano County Library supporters declare victory as officials decide not to close all branches. So basically, the libraries were being sued by people who wanted their banned books back. And instead of, uh, I don't know what the library's move should have been, they basically just threatened to shut down the system. And concerned citizens of Lano... Uh, gathered around the courthouse and protested and uh, Lano County commissioners decided not to close them. Thank you, Lano County commissioners, for coming to your senses. Um, I mean, I know people with kids love the library. Well, there were a lot of people out there who were saying that the library saved their lives and uh, um, it's an important center for well really should be for anybody it's a open place where you can gather knowledge and you don't have to have uh, a <laughs> you don't have to have an internet connection which 
by the way, the knowledge we acquire from the internet connections seems to be more spuriouser and spuriouser all the time. So going back to written tomes and just checking on things might be a good idea. It's interesting. I don't... Had you heard um, this story? No. Good. Uh, I mean, take. I wonder, like, yeah, I gotta wonder if, you know, county officials are like, yeah, nobody goes to the library anymore. Are we really gonna F with this lawsuit? I, I mean, the lawsuit or, was, I'm sure, putting pressure on a and it's funny an underfunded system. That list of banned books, you know, when somebody, like, I was like, what were, you know... I was trying to decide who, which side of the culture war was going after these band. You know, I was like, because it could be, you know, somebody's banning Huckleberry Finn, you know. Right. Uh, you know, they use the N-word, and that's, uh, and so I could understand, like, maybe that would be somebody on the far left saying, we just really don't need that word in our library anymore there's plenty of other things for the kids to read let's get rid of that one and uh and that would you know that would upset well literature teachers on both sides of the aisle but then you know i was trying to find a right wingers would hit the roof over that um but then that the ku klux klan as a terrorist organization seems like a good thing for people to know. Yeah, well, that that would be in the category of the anti-critical uh, race theory crowd. Yeah. Which is, that's by most accounts a right-wing thing to do and say. I mean, let's it, don't, maybe, let's, maybe we're let's just don't tell them the history. Maybe we're realizing... How useless these culture wars are. Uh, yeah. Uh, an- another one is um, Maurice Sendak's In the Night Kitchen. I love Maurice Sendak. I don't Me know too. that. I don't know, I don't know that particular either. work. Um, there's another. Here's another. Uh, maybe they had that. There's another KKK book. They call themselves the KKK, the birth of an American terrorist group. Now, banning that from your library is very telling, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe like Lano County, uh, Lano County public officials out themselves as KKK members. News at eleven, <laughs> film at eleven. Um, and then another one here was, uh, you know, another obvious. And, you know, uh, you see this victim. happening on Twitter and stuff. When when it comes down to like these culture wars, people like start getting after each other, and then they realize they've like that they're both on the same side, and they're just mad, and they don't know why exactly they're mad, and something like this, you know, is confusing. It's like, yes, if it, you know, there's also just as 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 a librarian, you're a curator of things. You can say. Like, you know, this this thing hasn't been checked out since the 60s. You know, maybe like this, I, I don't know what's going on in Llano County. Maybe the, maybe the KKK is not as strong there as it was before. Um, <laughs> or maybe it's stronger. I don't know. But the fact that. I mean, is there really KKK operating in Llano County? I can't tell you that there's some form of it. Isn't it just way more informal now? Or don't they call them just the Lano County Commissioners? I don't. Well, I mean, yeah, there's, you know, there's some sheriff's departments out there that. Fair enough. Uh, I know you got to be careful when you're driving through particular counties. I really want to get a hold of the list of all the books. Um, I mean, it seems clear to me that this that this list is all over the place, you know. So uh, my question is, like, how do you, well, like, where does censorship, where does curation end and censorship begin? Where, right? yeah. I mean, presumably there were non-banned books that they also 
What about this? What about this list from CBS News? The fifty most banned books in America. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, so Matthew, Matthew's the, laughing because the first one, the first book, is this delightful-looking book with these three penguins, penguin parents and a penguin child. I can only assume. This and is Tango it. makes three by Justin Richardson and Peter Parnell. I, I bet Tango has two daddies. Yeah, yeah. Well, which is fine. The, sometimes, good for have, Tango. Have you ever seen the life of a penguin in one of those penguin documentaries? One bird can't raise one bird. No, yeah, that's it. Takes true. two yeah. birds to raise a bird. Yeah. Period. Because one bird's got to keep that egg warm, and then chickling warm while the other bird goes and gets the fish to throw up in the mouth yeah. <laughs> of the baby. <laughs> so you need to. Um, stamped racism. The next and the next book, and there's a picture of Ted Cruz holding it up and looking at it. Stamped. Racism, anti-racism, and you by Ibram X. Kendi and Jason Reynolds. Uh. Which is, I'm sure, a good place to start kids at. One Magical Nation, this list is either intentionally or unintentionally the funniest thing. (laughs) We won't go through the whole list, but okay. Here's one where you can see right away why they might ban it. The book is called Two Boys Kissing by David Levitan. I say you can see why they're trying to ban it because the point of the book is right up front. It's just like a gay pride book. And hey, you're gay. It's okay. Two boys kissing. But boy, that scares the Lano County commissioners. This, by the way, is not uh, well, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Yuri Mexicandy. I've seen that book. <laughs> I'd like to Once read again, that. why would you ban it? <laughs> how to Be an Anti-Racist. People are like, banned! It's a ban- the last thing people. that I want to be. I, I use people and I, I I do air quotes when I say that. Um, I am Jazz. Well, th- and this this book was mentioned in that Lano County thing. I it's I am Jazz. Uh, uh, the the life of a of a transgender teen. Oh yeah. Um, we are the ants. It's a science fiction novel. It follows Henry, whose boyfriend has died by suicide. I see. Yeah. This is essentially all anti, basically gay and trans. That's that's the. It doesn't. You know what? This has nothing to do with obscenity. This has nothing to do with. Um, what, what were the reasons that people used to ban books? Oh, oh, why was why was Catcher in the Rye banned? Because there was profanities, and because the boy was rebellious. Profanity, the boy yeah, was I rebellious. Guess. That's why that was banned, right? Yeah. Man, J- just like I love it. Uh, Chapman guy about, you're... said that that inspired him to shoot John Lennon. That's right? true. Yes. Or was it? Well, no, he he or was it Reagan? No, no, it was because. Um, you know, Holden Caulfield talks about the phonies of the world. Yeah. And yes, Mark David Chapman, and I hate even saying or knowing his name, decided that John Lennon was the ultimate phony. Because he wouldn't sign his record or something, right? Well, there was some sort of personal slight, but I mean, he had, he had, you know, well, I mean, he had. Obviously had mental problems. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. But anyways, I, there's, the there's, there's was... no there's no need to really go through this list because no, they're, they're all all these books touch on gay and lesbian and transgender well, and, like, and queer topics. One? I assume that. It, OK, let's go to number one. Is this, I, I hate is this list these. in frequency of banning? Oh, hmm. I don't know. Let me go all the way down. So I assume the more popular the book, the more it's been banned. Let's go to like the top five here. Okay, number yeah, one, yeah. <laughs> Gender Queer, a Memorial by Maya Kobabe. I'm sure I butchered that name. Um, sorry, Maya. Yeah. Um, and then All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson at number two. Out, Out of, of Darkness. Yeah. This is probably... Wow, that's got race and... It's got LGBT interracial like. and... Well, no, this this is just interracial. Mexican-American girl and a black boy in the 30s. 
The book was the subject of many parental complaints stemming from sexually explicit content, violence, and a portrait of racism experienced by the main characters. Look, I understand. Oh, oh yeah, Toni Morrison's caught up in this. The bluest eye. Toni Morrison is one of the first uh, figures in popular culture to really be a huge influence and really speak about race and um i've never Nobel i've Price never read all of the bluest eye but i've read portions of it and it's so raw and real and people can't handle it <clears throat> um well so what we what we got here is mostly lgbtq anti-lgbtq-ness and a little bit of racism and and fear of telling the truth about our racist history our obvious racist history and but just a little bit of that i feel like they're just mixing in the racism just to like (laughs) to just be traditional a little bit how like and what percentage of the total number of books in the library are these it's really i can understand wanting to limit a young child's exposure to sexually explicit material or excessively violent material. You know, I get it. I, I think that some books are for mature audiences. Yeah. Who do, you, who do you think is responsible for that, Matthew? Parents. <laughs> right? Is that the right answer? That's the right answer. Not Ted Cruz? Not Ted Cruz. Not even really the librarians. Not Why Lano put it on? The, not the Lano County <laughs> commissioners. Um, yeah, I don't know. People, people, humans. There are some people who are afraid of other people's experiences. They can't handle it. You They're know, all humans having a human experience. I took that right from Dave Chappelle. There's a certain. Um, uh. You go, there's a certain privilege there that comes with having a p- parent who cares about you. And there is a group of disenfranchised children who don't have anybody to make those decisions for them. Um, and there again, I don't think that a boardroom of elected officials should be making any blanket decisions on what they should read and what they shouldn't. Oh, well, that's where we're at. And, you know, gosh, we've always been here, right? Yeah. So that, that, that speeds right into what I was talking about in the last episode, how history repeats itself. And that episode of the Dalek, we were talking about Anthony Comstock. Yeah. So then just this week, they're talking about, restricting these abortion drugs, which I love the names. Let me see if I can get them right. It's <laughs> methapristone and misoprostol. <laughs> no, I don't think it got them right. Met- no, here, it's misoprostol and methapristone, which, why are they so close? Misoprostol. Misoprostol and oh, methapristone. Oh, Somebody's oh. got to get those into a band name soon oh, as. Surely it's already out there. Um, there's some quack judge. I don't even know where. I don't care where. And he has overturned. I think it's in Indiana. And he's he's rest- completely restricted the use of these drugs based on the precedent of the Comstock Act, which is goes back to... <laughs> Anthony Comstock and the anti-vice. Uh, I, I, we just talked about it yeah. one week ago. So re- refer to episode 166 if you want so to hear it. So Comstockery continues. Modern Comstockery is still afoot. Um, I just thought that was interesting. That I, w- I was listening intently to those stories about the abortion drugs because A, I care about women's health. I care about health care. And... I'm fascinated by the names of those drugs and why they're so why they're so similar and strange and um, and then they were citing this judge that 
whoever brought the this Comstock act should still be somebody to like take it to the Supreme Court or something. Like, why is it still being applied to anything? Well, I mean, it is something that will go. The Comstock Act of Act of eighteen seventy three made it illegal to send obscene, lewd, lascivious, immoral, or indecent publications through the mail. So, what there are. There are states and there are universities that are stockpiling these drugs for in in fear of these total bans of them. And basically, he said these drugs are being sent through the mail. And so isn't, isn't the law wonderful how they just find a little loophole? They call it a loophole, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I just I thought it was interesting that we talked about it, and and of course my guys at the dollop, uh, Dave and uh, uh, Dave and Gareth, that maybe they saw it coming and they put out that episode uh, just a couple weeks ago of the Boston Prudes and News. Yeah. So it wasn't I who who was on that thread. Save me here. I'm just like if. If you can call, if you can blanket abortion drugs under indecent publications or lascivious publication, you know, yeah, what, what can't you, like, you probably shouldn't send underwear to the mail, right? Should we go after, like, Amazon? But isn't this Amazon subjective? Underwear? It's so subjective, right? I, As I, to who decides what's obscene? Is it Anthony Comstock? Nothing makes me feel more lascivious than a nice pair of undies, Matthew. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of possibly obscene things going through the mail. And uh, abortion, medical abortion aid pills are not really one of them. I wonder, like, who are these judges who are not just striking this down immediately? Well, they they found a judge... I'm sorry that I didn't actually pull up an article no, about that's right. this. Don't worry about it. That's, that's but they, 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 whoever brought the suit found the judge who was already well in the right camp. Yeah. And right. Yeah, and, finally... and it was a single judge district. Like, there was only one judge going to hear this. Right. Uh, good. And, and, and they so railroad, railroaded the... it to just the it's... right, um, you uh, know, right-wing jerkwad. And... Uh, and there you go. Uh, total ban in that Elected state. officials. They will um, never cease to let you down. Did you have um, a... Um, did you have a news cruise? Well, Dr. Grant Hall got at us. Uh, he, found a, he found a book. Train Crash at Crush, Texas. And uh, the Omni, the, I remember this story because the Omnibus covered it. Uh, really great, great story. Like, what did you know? What did people do before? You know, your kids are at the Adams Family musical tonight. Uh-huh. And you go to well, how many how many sports games do you attend a year, Matthew, with your kids? Well, a number. Just so many. Like that's oh. an important. Part of your recreation, you're getting out of the house, your social activity. Yeah. You know, there was a time when there wasn't a lot. They didn't have that. And that was only 100 years ago. So anytime any big event happened, you could bet that people were going to buy tickets for it and go. For instance, September 15th, 1896, Crush, Texas, the town of Crush boasted the highest population. Built near Waco, the town provided the staging ground for a publicity stunt, ramming two trains together at top speed. Okay, yes, I have heard of this. Showrunner and Katy Railroad official William Crush thought he had planned for every contingency, but when the elephant-sized chunks of steam locomotive began raining down into packed stands, the extravaganza quickly unraveled into one of the Lone Star State's most confounding tragedies. Now, I, they obviously built the stands too close. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> People wanted to get a good view of the 
Now, did, of the great now, train now, ramming. No, wait, wait. The guy's name was Crush? Yeah. And he made like a fake town so he could do this? Is that what happened? Mm, I mean, I, there may be, you know, it was just maybe the grandson of the guy who found him. Oh, the okay. Town. Yeah, okay, sure. That's how Crush, he came Texas, to be. Yeah. That's how you got the... the that's how... It, somebody who was clearly... Is that a book that your dad was recommending? Yeah. Maybe not... Would you say that maybe he wasn't... Didn't always think things through? Maybe you shouldn't Mr. Crush? <laughs> Railroad commissioner should not be the kind of guy who says, hey, wait, let's he, wait, ram wait, two of these things together. Wait, he was also the railroad as fast commissioner? As we can. That's what it says. Huh. K- oh, sorry. Railroad official. A ra- he was a railroad official. Yeah. Katie Railroad official, William oh, yeah. Crush. Okay. Um, I would think that at least he would have some concept of the ramifications and build the stands farther away. The soon-to-be-famous Scott up, Joplin dude. commemorated the debacle in the Great Crush Collision March. <laughs> Hang on. I mean, it's, it definitely <laughs> sounds like people died in that incident. Yeah, no, I, yeah, we shouldn't maybe be giggling. You're right. Well, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, enough time has passed that I think we can giggle. We're, we're not giggling at the loss of life. We're giggling at the fool who put it on and then built the bleachers like right there in the thing. Or hold it up there if it's audio for the show. Oh, wait, is it about to happen here? I think we're building up. This is like the music that they made for it? This is Scott Joplin's song about the collision. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I can feel the tension building. Well... It's available on Spotify, folks. I okay. assume that that song builds to a crescendo, but we don't. Matthew's trying to get out of here early, so we. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think that we should um, do our own little play of of this incident that we know actually quite very little about. Neither of us have read the book, so. Um, I, I I did just want to go back and. Um, Thanks, Dr. Hall, for all of the times that you've gotten at us. Next week, we'll discuss Doug Somm of the Texas Tornadoes. I, I wanted to correct the name of the abortion drugs. It is mefepristone and misoprostol. I don't know why I find those two words so fascinating. Yeah. But they've been saying them on the news all week. Um. There's a great Axios article about this, if anybody wants to go look that up, that breaks down what is the Comstock Act and what does the act have to do with the abortion pill? And the answer is not a lot. Uh, The judge's name is Kazmarek, if anybody wants to know. Send him a letter. Uh, Uh, Oh, that's in Texas. Why did I think it was... Why did I think that that was somewhere else? No, all the bad things happen right here in Texas. Okay. Um, Banning medications we, we, and we, smashing trades What else together. we got? I got a clarification from the last episode. I think that's the end of our news cruise, by the way. Thank God. <laughs> Maybe we should run some drug ads at the end of the, our news cruise like they do at the end of the nightly news. Um, and just to clarify, in the last episode, I said supposedly on purpose because I think that's funny. But I realized listening back to it that somebody <laughs> could be listening and just think, oh, that guy just said supposedly. <laughs> that's what my kid says. And we correct him every time. And it goes on and on. So it's in my house a lot. I, I wanted to just uh, do a little Matthews minutia. Um, I'm wearing my glasses tonight. Boy, it's really the golden hour right now. It sure it? is. Man. The it's light beautiful. is amazing. Um, I'm wearing my glasses and towards the end of the day, it's crucial that I put them on because my, my eyes just kind of sag through the day and, uh, (laughs) I have been having this experience with my glasses. Wearing glasses is kind of a new thing for me. Um, I guess mainly 
previously I was just like not seeing very well for a long time and I didn't know why. I had stopped reading for pleasure and I didn't know why. <laughs> it was because it was because I couldn't really read the words on the page. But now I have these great glasses and I've got my they're they're progressive, so they've got my distance uh prescription and my reading prescription all in one lens, and that's pretty fun. Uh, but <clears throat> Shafi, have you ever uh noticed how uh, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like reading people. I'm good with people. I can, I can interpret people from their body language, from their facial expressions. I'm an empath. I know how people are feeling. Facial expressions say so much. And lately with my glasses, there's just something about, there's something about how I can see the details in, in somebody's facial expressions better with my glasses on and the, and also as i'm driving i'll see somebody up on the on the sidewalk kind of somebody from far away and i can read their expression so much better now that i i got my glasses so it's really it feels like a superpower like i can i can see i know this this is the most one of the most ridiculous things i've ever said on this podcast <laughs> but i can see people's facial expressions the the detailed minutia of the facial expression better. I feel like I'm getting to know people better because of, of correcting my vision. It's That's crazy. Great. It's it crazy. Is important. You're absolutely right. To be able to read people's faces. Yeah. If you can't, then you could get confused. About it's things a tough people. world without that. I... <laughs> I have noticed that the left and right side of my field of vision when I drive at night has been deteriorating. deteriorating. Yeah. Listen, if you're driving around at night, do yourself a favor, go get your eyes checked. You probably need some glasses. And when you do, you'll drive at night and you'll be like, Oh, I can see. I just make sure I turn like all the way. If I'm turning. Yeah. Then I like turn my head all the way. You know, yeah. I don't depend on, I don't depend on that peripheral vision at night anymore. No. You can't. You can't. Um, tell me you have a poem locked and loaded. Ready to go. Is that right? No, I'm going to have to look it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you were just repeating to me that you knew what the phrase locked and loaded meant. Yes. I don't know what's wrong with a robot tonight. It's like not immediately happening. Like a little delay. Well, you know, instead Maybe this of... robot's getting old too. I intended to read another Philip Levine poem, but I absentmindedly typed the name of another Limon. Another favorite poet of mine, Larry Levis. Okay. So why don't we uh pull up a Larry Levis? Is that obscene? Is this book gonna get banned winter stars by larry levis my father once broke a man's hand over the exhaust pipe of a john deere tractor the man ruben vasquez wanted to kill his own father with a sharpened fruit knife and he held the curved tip of it lightly between his first two fingers so it could slash horizontally and with surprising grace across the throat. It was like a glinting beak in a hand, and for a moment the light held still on those vines. When it was over, my father simply went in and ate lunch, and then, as always, lay alone in the dark listening to music. He never mentioned it. I never understood how anyone could risk his life, then listen to Vivaldi. Sometimes I go out into this yard at night and stare through the wet branches of an oak in winter, and I realize I am looking at the stars again, a thin haze of them, shining and persisting. It used to make me feel lighter, looking up at them. In California, that light was closer. In California, no one will ever see again. My father is beginning to die. Something inside him is slowly taking back every word it ever gave him. Now, if we try to talk, I watch my father search for a lost syllable as if it might solve everything. And though he can't remember now, 
the word for it. He is ashamed. If you can think of the mind as a place continually visited, a whole city placed behind the eyes and shining, I can imagine now its end as when the lights go off one by one in a hotel at night, until at last all of the travelers will be asleep, or until even the thin glow from the lobby is a kind of sleep, and while the woman behind the desk is applying more lacquer to her nails, you can almost believe that the elevator, as it ascends, must open upon starlight. I stand out on the street and do not go in. That was our agreement at my birth. And for years I believed that what went unsaid between us became empty and pure like starlight and that it persisted. I got it all wrong. I wound up believing in words the way a scientist believes in carbon after death. Tonight I'm talking to you, Father, although it is quiet here in the Midwest where a small wind the size of a wrist wakes the cold again, which may be all that's left of you and me. When I left home at 17, I left for good. That pale haze of stars goes on and on, like laughter that has found a final silent shape on a black sky. It means everything. It cannot say, look, it's empty out there and cold. Cold enough to reconcile even a father, even a son. Say the poet's name again. Larry Levis. Larry Levis. <laughs> Oh what was that poem called? I, I really, uh, Winter Stars. That was fantastic. I really did pick that one. That was an amazing poem. Sorry, it was so heavy, though. I love Vivaldi. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Larry Levis. Man, what a great. He has a book called Elegy. I keep finding my new favorite poet on my on this podcast. I would say... There's nobody who writes about death like Larry Levis. So if you're ever in that mood, guys. <laughs> Often. <laughs> uh, we love you, listener. We love you so much. We hope that you're finding your new favorite poet on each and every episode of One Magical Hour, Matthew Chaper Podcast Spectacular. Or at least finding a little community comedy and comfort. Yeah, that's, that, that would be good. And the poorer the choices, the sweeter the wine. <laughs>